But Good Morning Network partners sent ones, regular members of Emmanuel, and I hope you wear that with pride, a regular member of Emmanuel, because that does have meaning. It does have meaning. But I want to ask you this question starting out. Who is the greatest? Because that's something that our culture obsesses over. Who's the greatest cook? Who's the greatest basketball player? Evidently, if you're Evan Calvin, you're more concerned with who is not the greatest than who is. Um, you know, we are in Kentucky. Anybody have an opinion on who the greatest college basketball program is? I heard a four-letter word. That is not to be said in public. I was not expecting that. It's the wrong blue. Four-letter word. Who's the greatest business person, the greatest singer, the greatest athlete? We can go on and on and on, but we are obsessed with who is the greatest. Now, how do we usually figure out who the greatest is? Album sales, concert tickets, fame, followers. If you're a classic movie lover, you may be disappointed when I say this, I have never watched The Godfather all the way through. But, 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 there is a very important scene right at the beginning where the Godfather's daughter is getting married. But she's not the centerpiece of the wedding like most people are. Actually, people are bringing gifts to her, but they're presenting them to who? The Godfather, right? And they keep coming to him and kissing his hand and reporting for duty, basically, and he's got his big thugs with him, cracking knuckles, making sure that everybody who's supposed to be there comes and pays homage to the Godfather. And on this special day, since he's in a good mood and it's a special day, maybe he'll do him a little favor. <laughs> or maybe he'll just send him away. But there's no doubt in that scene who is the greatest. Who's the greatest in that scene? The Godfather, right? There's no question. Everybody is coming to the Godfather, looking for him to bless them in some way. Now, we have someone in authority over us. We have someone that we can approach. Jesus, the King of Kings though, he, he came as a servant. He came as a servant. He became like a servant, although no one can compare in greatness with him. No one can. No one can. No one can compare with Jesus. He is the greatest. So what we're going to do today, since... We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, if you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're going to talk about who is the greatest. Now before I get into the text, I just want to give us a little bit of background, catch us up. 
Now, if you were at Round County's uh, covenant service a few months ago, this might sound a little familiar. I've changed the sermon a little bit. But what a shock to us that even though Jesus is the greatest, that his disciples in the Bible, explicitly written, his disciples argue over which one of them is the greatest. Let's think about the scene here for a minute before we read the text. In Matthew chapter 20, just before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where people are gonna recognize him as the greatest, as the king, the one who's coming to free the people, the one who's coming to reconcile them to God. They had seen Jesus do all kinds of amazing things. But two of his disciples, James and John, their mom comes up to Jesus. And she asked Jesus, these two sons of mine, can one sit at your left hand and one sit at your right hand in the kingdom? Now, in ancient times, this was the place of honor. So what is this mom asking Jesus to do? Jesus, make sure that my sons are the greatest. But Jesus said, even though these brothers were so confident that they were worthy of that honor, Jesus told them, quote, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then skipping a little bit in the story, Jesus, he's eating his last supper with his disciples. And his disciples are in this place where they had just heard Jesus instruct them. In Luke, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus gave his disciples a warning that they took seriously and we should too. He said, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Now, anybody use that word dissipation on a regular basis? If you're an engineer, maybe. It's a fancy word. It just means wasting your life or squandering what you've been given, okay? Jesus had told them, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap when he returns to bring his people to himself. And now let's go and look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 21. But before I read it, I do want us to pray. Lord Jesus, help us to know that you are the greatest and help us to sit with the fact that you're the greatest. 
And like Drew McFarlane talked about yesterday, Christ, you're the, you're the convertible. You're the joy in this life. Help us, God, to see what this meant 2,000 years ago and how it still applies to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 22, verse 21. The disciples have been warned to watch themselves. Now they're at the last supper with Jesus. And in verse 21 says this. Jesus is talking. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Watch yourself. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For <clears throat> who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. How quickly the disciples devolve into comparison. Jesus told them, wash yourselves. And then he says, the hand of the person who's gonna betray me is with us at the table. Well, can you imagine what's going on in their minds? I think you probably could because you're not that much different than they are. Well, I, I wouldn't betray Jesus. My, my brother and I were the first two disciples called. Well, it wouldn't be me because he gave me a new name. My new name is Rock. Of course I'm not that guy. I gave up a good job. I left the tax booth to follow him. He knows it's not me and so should everybody else. What are they saying? As they look at each other, they're saying in Kentucky-ish, I'm better than all y'all. I'm better than all y'all. No one can compare to me. I 
and the greatest. Are we much different? I gave up an American life to move overseas to serve God. I planted a church where there were no healthy churches. If it wasn't for my continued prayer and giving, none of these church plants could have money. None of these church plants would have support. They would have not been sent in the first place. These pastors should thank me. I fought for the gospel against the sorry dogs that have tried to come into the church. I do more in my community than anybody. My kids are all turning out great. We aren't falling away even after a friend's betrayal. I'm the best looking guy in this room once the Komatsu brothers go home. Only one of those things is true. I'll uh, let you figure out which one. <laughs> but what are we saying, y'all, when we compare ourselves with one another? We're really saying in our heart, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. I can handle this. I'm the one they can figure it out and get it done. Me, I'm the greatest. Look back again at verses 25 through 27. We're gonna see that Jesus, who is the greatest in that room, humbles them twice, but he doesn't leave them there. He gives them something to do more than encourage them. Back in verses 25 through 27, Jesus humbles them by saying that greatness with God is not about how other people regard you or how others serve you. You see that? The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Jesus had real power and authority. Jesus was able to do things like touch a man with leprosy and heal him. Leprosy was a skin disease and those people were isolated. No telling the last time somebody talked to this man face to face, much less touched him. But Jesus gives value to him emotionally, spiritually, and physically when he touches him. Never before had it ever been heard that a man had healed someone born blind. Guess who did that? Jesus. And who is the greatest in this room? Jesus. Jesus taught as one who had authority. Why? Because Jesus did have authority. He did. Jesus also, on this night that our story takes place, would wrap a towel around himself and wash his disciples' nasty, stinking feet. 
The Bible says that we know God, the Father through the Son. God who spoke all things into existence. Through his breath, when he spoke, he created the sun, the moon, the stars, all living things. And we know that the heart of Jesus is the heart of a servant. The same God with all power, his heart is a heart of service. Jesus was among them as one who serves. How do we serve one another? It's not through comparison. How do you serve others? It's not making them think that you're better than them. How do you regard one another? There are people here who don't plan to ever leave Emmanuel Baptist Church, much less Louisville. Praise God, will you serve the saints here? Others came with the expectation of leaving. Praise God, will you serve while you're here and serve after you go? Others will be sent out by the church to minister with any group we can create. There's a temptation to ask, who is the greatest? Well, y'all, there's a really easy answer for that. Who is the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. We get together, we can't help ourselves. We don't really know how to ask good questions. So we ask things like, oh, how's your church? Well, I'm not really sure how to answer that. How's Commission Church going? Well, today I'm here preaching. I don't have to worry about heresy getting <laughs> preached at our church. I don't have to worry about chaos there, praise God. But there's also a family who's been at the church for two years. I baptized the husband about a year ago. They're relocating to Lexington, and this was their send-off Sunday. They're getting prayed for by Pastor Gary before they move. But they're leaving more spiritually mature than what they came. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I trust that they're gonna serve whatever church they land in as well as they served at Commission Church. And there's people like Ben and Sarah Hedrick who have decided to, Lord willing, join the work with us in Shelbyville. And this is their last Sunday at Emmanuel. And how fitting that I preach. <laughs> but in the rest of this passage, we're gonna see how Jesus humbles them again and again, but he lifts them back two different times. First, we see the greatest Jesus gives you something greater than you can imagine. Whether you're a network partner, whether you're somebody who's been sent out by Emmanuel or you're a member here, Jesus shuts down the argument that they're going through about who's the greatest. He shuts it down by reminding them of greatness in the kingdom of God, right? That greatness in the kingdom is all about serving, serving God and serving one another. But he doesn't just leave them with hurt feelings. 
That's the temptation sometimes we can have pastors when we want to correct somebody is we leave them in the correction and don't bring hope at the end. But Jesus does give them hope. Check this out. In verse 28, I'll ask you a question before we read that though. Who's the greatest person in this room? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Nathan. Verse 28, Jesus says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Jesus has corrected them from saying, I'm the greatest. He's humbled them by saying, you should be a servant, but now he validates, yes, you have been with me in my trials. Remember, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Does that mean that the disciples were in a hotel? It means they were in the same boat. When people would criticize Jesus, guilty by association, right? But Jesus doesn't just dog them and leave them there. The greatest person in the room gives the disciples this beautiful moment in verse 29 with all of their squabbling at dinner over who's the greatest, which one of them deserves honor. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, you've been with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. You've been with me. And the way you're thinking about being the greatest is all wrong, but I am going to give you a kingdom. Why on earth are you talking about who's gonna be the greatest at this little table? Do you not know that there is a kingdom that I, the greatest, am going to give to you in the future? Why are you squabbling amongst yourselves? Whether we're comparing ourselves to one another saying, I'm not as bad as that person or saying, well, I'm better than that person or situation. Either way, either way, disciples, you have persevered, but don't be short-sighted no matter what group you put yourself into, aren't we all serving the greatest? And he is the one who isn't just gonna give you a platform or a whole bunch of likes on Instagram or X. He's going to give you a kingdom. Now, the second humbling and encouragement comes from Jesus. In verse 31, Jesus does something here that's maybe a bit unusual. In the midst of all these disciples, you know, there's one who was kind of the leader that a lot of them would look to. Y'all remember what that guy's name was? Peter. Jesus right here does not call him Peter. Remember, Jesus had recruited him as a disciple. Jesus had given this guy a new name. His old name was Simon. And Jesus, in this moment, looks at him and doesn't say Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. Now, I think that Jesus did that for a reason. I think it was a repetition there for emphasis. But I also think that there was a reason why Jesus didn't call him Peter. You see the 
if you remember, the name Peter means rock. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to act much like a rock. He said in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Man. Jesus calls him his pre-Christian name. Because right here, he's saying that you're not going to act much like a rock. Because why? He's about to go through a significant trial. Right here, Jesus is saying Satan had demanded to have them so that he could sift them like wheat. A lot of us don't grow up sifting wheat. Anybody here by chance sifted wheat? I know some of y'all hippies out there grind your own whole grain. It's a little bit different. So, so what sifting wheat is, is you would harvest the grass. Wheat is in the grass family, aka if you city people didn't know that. And it's a violent process by which the seed, the actual kernel that you would consume in the future is separated from the chaff. If the wheat had feelings, they'd be screaming while that process was happening. It's very violent. In China, I would watch farmers and sometimes have the privilege of hanging out with them during harvest season. They'd have these huge baskets and we'd just get huge bundles of rice and just pound the side of these huge baskets for hours, just pounding the rice into the basket. That's the image that Jesus gives his disciples of what Satan has demanded to do to them. They know about Job and what God had allowed Satan to do to him. Would this not be terrifying if Jesus looked at you and said, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat? Any volunteers for that? Right here though, the English language fails us a little bit because what this actually means, Jesus says, Satan demanded to have you, that's plural. So Southern American English is y'all. Satan demanded to have y'all, this group of people. So he's looking at the leader. Simon Peter, and he's saying, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, to put all of you through an intense trial. And then, with Satan active, he entered Judas, and Judas would betray Jesus. And Satan would also demand to harm his disciples. The disciples had already gone through trials with Jesus. Remember that when he validated them? But they're about to go through even more. You ever been afraid that you might suffer for Jesus? These guys literally know that they're about to. But Jesus does not leave them in despair This is the part that gets me. (laughs) 
Jesus doesn't leave them in despair. In verse 32, Satan has demanded that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, and that's singular. He's looking at Simon Peter and he says, Satan's demanded to sift y'all like wheat, but I have prayed for you. When do we usually pray with the most urgency? When things are going wrong, we're in a tight spot, loved one is sick, things are desperate, rent, rent time comes, we don't have the money. Pray really quickly, right? Can you imagine Jesus telling you something face to face like Satan is going to put you through a tremendous trial? Listen to this though, Jesus also tells him, but I have prayed for you. Wouldn't you love, as you've been betrayed by a ministry partner, as there's a murder in your neighborhood with somebody from your church, as you're going through a health crisis, as somebody is about to apostatize, wouldn't you love it if you could be in the position of Simon Peter where Jesus could look you in the eye and say, but I have prayed for you. Wouldn't it be nice to have that luxury? Wouldn't that be comforting in the midst of all these trials? Jesus, I wish you would sit across the table from me and say something like that. Man, if only Jesus could pray for us. If only he could be involved in our lives. Hold on! He is praying for you. Listen to this. Romans 8, 31 through 38. I'm going to read this. This is the Bible, y'all, talking to you. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's a God with a servant's heart. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That sounds like a kingdom. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Simon, you're going to betray me, but I have prayed for you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, hanging out, eating pizza. No. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, that's a present tense, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ and Christ Jesus our Lord. Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Church, Beloved of God, Jesus is interceding for you right now that your faith may not fail. God, I can't handle another friend betraying me. He is praying that your faith may not fail. My daughter died and now my husband is in the ICU, the gentlest man I've ever known. God will sustain Sarah Bryant because he is praying for her faith to not fail. Turners, Moors. God, I had the heart to go overseas and share the gospel with billions of people who don't know you, don't even have the book of Luke. What are you doing? I'm angry, God, I'm bitter. What are you doing? I wanna love you and honor you. He's praying for you that your faith may not fail. God, I fought lust so much, but I keep falling into porn. You can repent and come back to him. He's praying for your faith to not fail and then strengthen your other brothers who say that they're in a state that you used to be in. God, why can't I have a child? Aren't I a woman? I'm supposed to have a baby. We can't say why God has not given you a child, but we can say that Jesus is interceding for you, that your faith may not fail. After the disciples, power plays and comparisons. Who's the greatest in that room, y'all? Even after the abandonment he'll face, Jesus will be the one to suffer as their servant on the cross, as their substitute sacrifice, that they don't have to get punished for their sin. That even though Simon will betray him, Jesus knows it. He knows that, beloved, you will fall at some time. But he, he's interceding for you. Satan can't say, oh, there's no hope for him, God. He's doomed. 
Because Jesus is sitting there saying, no, I died for him. I died for her. Listen to me. And when you've repented and come back, strengthen your brothers and sisters, beloved. If you're in sin right now, come back to him and strengthen your weak brothers and sisters. We all need it. Because you have a rebel heart against him is why he died for you. Jesus died in your place so that if you confess your sins to him and follow Jesus, you will have forgiveness and hope. Who else can give you a kingdom? Swifty kingdom ain't gonna cut it. Five years from now, Kelsey will be retired. He's in the NFL. You don't play it when you're in your 50s, man. But there's something that lasts forever. And there's only one person that can give it to you, and it's Jesus. So who's the greatest? Who rose from the dead? It's not good enough for him to be slaughtered and died. He has a kingdom that he'll give to his followers. The greatest even knows you will fail. So he's at the right hand of God interceding for you. Even though he's the king of kings, he's still serving you. You are that needy. You still need him every day. But he has prayed for you. So return and strengthen your brothers and sisters. He was the greatest. He is the greatest. And he will be the You are not, you'll die, you'll lose everything. Even if I was more handsome than a Komatsu, I'd get old. But if you don't follow Jesus, you will be judged for your rebel heart by an almighty God. Open your eyes to see that if you humble yourself and follow him, even though you will go through trials, you will have eternal life with him. Who is the greatest? Jesus. He is interceding for you that your faith may not fail. Am I supposed to pray now? I don't know, okay. <laughs> Lord God, thank you so much for your example in Scripture. Lord, for the community group leaders, for the regular old members at Emmanuel, for the pastors, for everybody, thank you. Thank you for recording this in your word. Thank you, God, for being so kind to us that even though we may fail, we have you interceding for us that our faith may not fail. That's something to live with. Help us in Jesus' name, amen.